and we're at chapter 17. I need to point out that uh, chapter 16 is a benchmark, a place, a beginning of, uh, uh, of a change in the book of Leviticus. And it is the, uh, chapter 16, as you know, was the um, teaching on the Passover, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It was sort of like the pinnacle of all of the stuff they had said before. And it is uh, uh, the pinnacle of the teaching of those things about the law and about uh, uh, all of those things, including the two goats of chapter 16, which we will be addressing this morning. But now the whole thing shifts a bit. So if you were dividing this book up, you would divide it into at least two parts. I suggest three, but I'm going to say two. I agree with most scholars. Uh, and that chapter 16 connotes the end of the first part of the book. And chapter 17 opens the new. They're still related to the uh, Levitical laws and such, but it's a totally different change in um, uh, the topic. Now we're going to be talking about how to live out personally the things of God and the laws of Leviticus and what they mean. And so if you're there at chapter 17... We're going to read a portion of it. Well, I might read it all since it's not all that long. Beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb uh, or goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord, or to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Whew! Strong stuff to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. God has a procedure. Don't mess with it. Uh, the, uh, the sons of Aaron found that out, did they not? They went in there with profane offerings. And God literally burnt them up and then told Aaron, shut up. Ooh. Ooh, what is the Lord communicating here? <laughs> uh, and the priest shall sprinkle the blood of, uh, on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also, you shall say to them, 
whatever man of the house of Israel and of the strangers who dwell among you, you offer a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be again cut off from his people, disowned by the country, by the nation. Wow. Verse 10, and whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul, hallelujah. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be uncleaned until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. What is the resounding theme of, of what we just read? Somebody want to offer that? What's the theme here? What is, what is the general message of the theme of that passage? Pardon me? Life is in the blood, that is definitely one of them. And second, because life is in the blood, what? I know, uh, 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 Marla, you are absolutely on target about the blood, uh, but there's something more that's running through here. Do it my way. God has a way. And he doesn't care if you're an Israelite, a Christian, or uh, the strangers among them. By the way, I really appreciate them adding the strangers that come up out of Egypt with them. There were a lot of them, weren't there, that weren't Israelites, and they uh, uh, came along. This is one of the early uh, references to them, and I think it's really kind of interesting. But they are to not offer religious offerings out in the field. There is a tabernacle. And that's where you're supposed to bring your offerings and only there. And only in the form and uh, procedure that God has laid out. What does the tabernacle represent? What does it represent? It's a tent, folks. It's a tent, a large tent. And on the outside, it's absolutely plain. Right? 
It's just plain. It doesn't stand out. What's on the inside? Ah, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. On the outside, you couldn't tell it from anything else. But in the, in, in the middle and inside is the Ark of the Covenant. Does that not speak of Christ Jesus our Lord? On the outside, the scripture says there was nothing to attract us to him. He was a plain person. There was nothing significant about him, humanly speaking, that would, you know, like some of the monster movies you see <laughs> on TV, that would cause you to follow him. He was plain. It is what he said that set him apart. The same is true here in that God had set a procedure for dealing with sin and dealing with uh, all these things, and we are to follow it. There is a way in which that is still true today, although you need not. All of these things having to, you need not do as they did. All of these things having to do with the tabernacle are long since gone. But the true ark is with us. God is with us. Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is through him that we come to God. And that's the way it should be. And there's no other way. Some would find it by religion. By good works. By all of the things that humans seem to value. But he says, no. Do it my way. He that confesses my name and believe that I've been raised from the dead shall be saved. Boy, that makes it pretty straightforward, doesn't it? No longer are there elaborate procedures to go through. Christ is declared, you believe. Done. It wasn't all that way, and Christ, or God is speaking to us through these things to finally make that point, not now, but a little later, like a thousand years. Okay. Uh, and, but it's, these are beautiful things that are being said, although they take a really strong kind of position that if you violate that, by offering something out in the woods. Can't you just see it? Can't you just see it? This guy's out there said, man, I, I, I'm 40 miles from the, uh, from the tabernacle. I, I'll just offer something up out here. So he slashes the throat of the lamb, burns it on, <laughs> on the fire, and lets that go as an offering to God. But God says, no. You do that, you'll be cut off from your people. That's pretty strong language. But we need to be strong. Uh, but, but God has established his order in our world. And it is for us to honor that. And so that's what this passage of, uh, or this chapter, chapter 17, begins the process of, is talking about what God requires from his people 
by way of behaviors, by way of, of habits, by way of the things that they do. Did you ever notice that this, uh, man, that place must have been extremely busy, wasn't it? The tabernacle and the priests and all of that, killing animals all day long, throwing them on the fire, all that kind of stuff. Oh man, it must have been crazy. There were uh, uh, millions of people out there in, in the wilderness and, and they were all, or many of them, were bringing in animals and offerings and all of those kind of things. It must have been a busy, busy place. And yet, God insists on a procedure that he has established. There are those who'd like to come up to God in another procedure. That's true today, isn't it? Do you discuss this with people who are unbelievers? They want to come up another way. They want to think that they're good and that God is loving. Yes, God is loving. Would anybody disagree with that? I, I, no, he saved this miserable sinner. Then he saved Tyler. How, how bad can it get, eh, Tyler? <laughs> so, but you know, that is our God. He saves. And it, is, it isn't with reference to your life. It isn't reference to your righteousness. It is in reference to his love and his determination. He determines how to worship too as well. We live in a day in which worship has been devalued. I'm not saying that of our church. I think our church is one of the better ones. I'd give us high marks in that. Uh, our pastor stands in the pulpit and talks about worship. Worship being the uh, important and primary issue when you meet on Sunday. That's so true. We are to worship. We're ahead of the game. But you go to other churches like we did for a while and just just visiting to see what goes on. And uh, it, it would have seemed to me today that the churches uh, 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 boast and rank themselves on how good the band is. So the band plays for 45 minutes and then the pastor stands up and gives a 10-minute soliloquy saying nothing. I know, I, I, I hesitated, I didn't do it. I didn't get up and run out the hall. <laughs> I actually endured the mess. But I've seen it so many times that I'm, I, I'm sick of modern religion. It doesn't make sense. Faith Bible Church is one of those that still worships God and comes and meets together with the full intention of worshiping God and the fellowship of the saints, but primarily the worship of God, and we do it God's way. Do not neglect the meeting of yourselves together, as the habit of some is. We're not going to do that. We meet whenever we can on Sundays, because that's the day of the week that we meet. Not the Sabbath. Oh, I won't argue this. I'll just have to spend one minute. The Sabbath is still Saturday. But we meet on the first day of the week because Christ was raised on the first day of the week. 
And so we traditionally have met on Sunday. And so God has a way, and he has established that. He has told us how to do it. We, like the children of Israel, ought to abide by those rules and by those standards. That's what chapter 17 is all about. I thought the most important element for me was this whole issue, apparently, of offering sacrifices to demons. And the mention of those that uh, were not Israelites and were not exposed to the faith of the Israelites. There must have been many of them who made those offerings out in the field, so to speak, who didn't offer it to Jehovah God, but rather to demons, if I'm to believe what the word of God says here. Or perhaps it is, if it's not done at the temple, or at the tabernacle, it's an offering to demons. Interesting thought. I'm not going to hold that or insist upon it, but um, it seems to uh, uh, be something like that. God has a method of worship, and he wants us to abide by it. I think it's really important, back to the modern day, it's very important that we continue to meet like this. Uh, that is to say, on Sundays, Wednesdays if you can, uh, all of those things, meeting together in the fellowship of the saints, it's a beautiful thing. Because of my wife's condition, I can't come, I have been less and less able to come to prayer meeting. Rose, I miss it dearly. I sometimes cry because I want to be with you guys, lifting up our thanks to God. But I can't come all the time. But uh, 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 whenever we can, we want to join the fellowship of the saints as we worship together, as we mutually wor worship. And one of these days, if they ever ask me to preach again, I'm going to talk about worship. Not today, but worship and the quality of it. We stand in a good stead. Faith Bible Church has good marks if I'm allowed to score it on worship of God. We're not asking, uh, nobody's being asked to do anything extraordinary, but we are asked to do that which is pleasing to God. So that first thing of them offering sacrifices out in the field, and then sometimes, according to verse 7, there shall no more, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. So some of them were doing it purposely. Others were probably doing it for what I described earlier as a matter of convenience that they didn't have to go all the way to the uh, tabernacle. Do you understand how about three million people, some estimate even five, but I'm gonna say closer to three million people gathered around in areas around that. That's a pretty large city, wasn't it? And that's the reason that the kings that encountered them, when they came out and up on the mountain, they looked out over there and said, oh my goodness, <laughs> wow, uh, this is gonna to be tough. Uh, there's a lot of folks down there. They even got an army. So it was a large group of people. And I'm sure that some 
took advantage of that, uh, of that circumstance and said, I'll just make my offering right here. But God says, if you do that, you'll be cut off from your people. That's how important doing it God's way is. And so we want to be sure that we, in our context, modern man, having as we do all of the conveniences of modern life, that we do it God's way. And we adore him through worship and praise and lifting of thanks to him all the time. My, my. And then uh, the pouring of blood. Do you notice that one thing that hasn't changed is that Leviticus is soaked in blood. <laughs> the whole book. The whole book is soaked in blood. And there's almost a, uh, 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 it almost hits you in the face, you know, this attention to bloody things. The sacrifices were sacrificed there in front of the tabernacle by slashing the animal's throat and, uh, and so forth. And anybody dressed a deer out in the woods? I know some have. Yes, um, can be a bloody affair out there. Uh, uh, yes, it's not, an, uh, not a really a, a pleasant thing all the time. Uh, but I can only imagine this repeated, what? A bunch of times per day, right in front of all the people. My goodness, and blood everywhere. The difference is they collected the blood. We just let it flow out on the ground and disappear. But they collected it so they could flick their finger and put it on the altar. Wow. And we see this blood all over the place. And then it says, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. There it is, the gospel according to Leviticus. Boom. It is the blood of Christ that redeems. It was by blood that we have been brought here. We may not like that. We may not like to relive that. But our Savior suffered on that cross, bled, and died. Like the sacrifices here. And then some guard had the gall to come by and shove a spear in his chest. And blood and water came forth. We have here an argument for the absolute preciousness, preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Marla got that exactly right. And it is given to you upon an altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Christ died. He died a bloody death. But the life is in the blood and he died. But then he was 
raised. Wow. So there's something more going on. There's atonement going on. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells upon you, among you eat blood. Uh, yeah. Does any, any of you all eat blood? Have you ever heard of blood pudding? Anybody? Yeah. There is such a thing as blood pudding. Yes. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that some people have, uh, quote, eaten blood. Uh, not of a consequence to a, a New Covenant believer at all, I don't think. Uh, on the other hand, it makes people squeamish. <laughs> and as it should, um, uh, because the life of an animal or a life of whatever is in the blood. If, it's not, if, it doesn't, if you don't have any blood, if you lose too much of it, you die. Our Savior did. He didn't die because he lost blood, but he did lose blood. He died because he, what does the scripture say? He gave up his soul. He turned it loose. If I may use that term, he turned it loose and it left his body. And so all of these things in chapter 17 also have application in our own life and times. If we read through what we would call the kind of figurative language and uh, a content of the, of the chapter... It's a shadow of the good things to come, as the book of Hebrews declared. These things are but shadows. They are figures, they are types, and so forth and so on. Interesting that one of the things in, in uh, preparing my message for today that I did, uh, uh, I'll be uh, speaking on Leviticus chapter 16 today, but one of the things that I read in by way of preparation for that, was Psalm 22. Do any of you remember Psalm 22? Okay, I'll remind you of how that chapter starts, or how that psalm starts. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? <gasps> the very words of Jesus Christ a thousand years before? Nearly a thousand. Not quite a thousand, but David was close to a thousand years. It's a beautiful psalm. You should read it. It's agonizing to read it. And yet it is that which was necessary in God's eyes and in Christ's eyes for our redemption and our atonement. He was a propitiation for our sins. That's worth rejoicing in, isn't it? And that is the message that we must proclaim. We must renew our commitment to that message that Christ has died. And he died as an atonement for the people. And I think that we kind of are afraid to deal with that for we fear that they won't understand that is an unbeliever. I'm not so sure that's right. And the difference is this. 
Jesus said in John chapter 6, two times he said this, no man can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him. And so we go along and we are talking stuff and we're talking of the gospel to people that don't believe and do not have yet the Spirit. But who's to say that God, by his word in your mouth, might draw that one? I want you to go forward with that kind of hope in your mind as you witness to other people, to unbelievers around you. I know this sounds a little crazy, but sometimes during the summertime I'm out, I keep a really nice lawn, in case you guys don't know. And uh, so I'm out there a lot, <laughs> edging and trimming and everything like that. And people stop by and say, Mr. Edwards, you keep a marvelous lawn. And then so uh, and, uh, uh, a conversation ensues. And within moments we're talking about Jesus Christ. And you always will be if you come to my lawn, I'll guarantee you. <laughs> uh, uh, we talk about Jesus Christ. I am not here to sort them out. Let God do the sorting out. I'm going to do the testifying. I'm going to do the preaching. I'm going to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it could be that a God the Father will draw Give them the ability to understand. That's our job. Our job is not to draw. That's God the Father's job. Our job is to preach. God is pleased to use the preaching of his gospel to draw men and women to Jesus Christ. Let's be faithful in our part. Preach the word. But don't expect to argue people into the kingdom of God. It won't happen. Just trust the Lord. And this one won't believe, and that one won't believe, and that one won't believe, and right on down the line, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, and boop, one did. Rejoice. Rejoice, because God is about his business. And then that one, coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, in a short time, they're telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. I think that's kind of beautiful, isn't it? The way that God works in his children and in his people to expand his kingdom. Hallelujah. I got off track there from chapter 17. My apologies to you. But uh, on the other hand, I don't apologize. Uh, uh, and so chapter 17 Basically, the conclusion is God commands a certain way to worship him. Let's do that. In spirit and in truth is how the New Testament puts it. And so we will satisfy with that, that we should worship him in the way that he designates. Let's pray and finish our class. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, dear Lord, for the word. Even uh, by some standards hidden in these words, 
types, shadows, allegories, and the like, but all from you and all from heaven above. Help us to be sensitive to these things as we study your word, and especially in these difficult books such as Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We pray, dear Father, that you will grant us wisdom as we study and as we worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.